Welcome to another episode of Adoption, The Making of Me. I'm Louise Brown. And I'm Sarah Reinhardt. Make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Adoption, The Making of Me podcast. You can also find us at our website, adoptionthemakingofme.com. And please remember to subscribe, share, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Hello there, Louise. Sarah. Hi, Woody. I see Woody. Oh, there's Woody, everyone. (laughs) We are on chapter 15 of Journey of the Adopted Self by BJ Lifton. And this is a pretty intense chapter. It's called The Mark of Oedipus. I mean, that title just (laughs) says it all, doesn't it? I literally, you texted me today and said, have you read the chapter? And I, it's kind of a big one. I'm like, what is, what is it about? We tackled something. I was like, oh, yeah. I, I have to say I was uncomfortable the entire me. chapter. I will read both of these quotes. At the back of the Oedipus saga, there really stands the mysterious question of origin and the destiny of man, which Oedipus desires to solve, not intellectually, but by actually returning to the mother's womb. That was by Otto Rank. And then the second quote says, birth, death, and incest all involve going back to the mother's womb. And that was Leonard Shengold. Yeah. How did you react? I felt at first I was a little bit, I wouldn't say like disgusted, but a little bit that thing of like, oh, wow, this isn't right. People are having these feelings, but then I sort of understood it. Mm-hmm. Even just little things that in like, well, I, yeah, yeah, we, it talks about, I, we mm-hmm. didn't really say anything cause you and I both yeah. have the chapter, but it talks about the attraction and sometimes yes. consummation yeah. between the mother, son, the father, daughter, siblings, yeah. the attraction that, you know, confusion around confusion it all. and attraction. And I think the thing, well, and before we tell stories, but she had the part in there where she talks about is it incest or is it something else? Because you're not growing up getting abused by somebody in an ancestral relationship. You're attracted to what you're from. How did you right. And the, it's the, the legal person? definition yes. is about, you know, your parents and the ones who raised you. I think I'm, I'm paraphrasing yes. that, but that, no, that you're right. What the yeah. legal definition of incest is. And also the taboos, how the word taboo came from, what was the culture, um, Tahitian culture or something is a. Uh, I thought it was Egyptian culture, maybe. I don't know. I thought I, I'll oh, find maybe, it, but, uh, Yeah, but it was like all about what's forbidden. Oh, Polynesian. We're both like taboo is the old Polynesian word that means forbidden, and you know it is forbidden. But I think these are feelings. So people are seeing each other, and there's some attraction there. Like, holy cow, the daughter now looks like my ex-partner who I have unresolved feelings for and all this attachment and vice versa. Mm-hmm. The daughter wants a daddy figure and she acted out sexually in her team. I mean, you can see for some reason with the male, the mother son was harder for me to read because some of them were really intense. <laughs> me too. There was a mother and son that lived together mm-hmm. and yeah, it, it, it was very, and maybe that's also because we both have sons. I think that's why. And I, I think I kept like, what? <laughs> I know I kept thinking about, oh my God, like how awful that would be between, you know, like Becker and right. just, I, I went, I had to shut down that thought, you know, of me too. And think of it as like, we grew up raising them 
every mm-hmm. day. Right. We knew them. them yes. All the basketball things, snack time, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Here comes a mom. Changing the diapers. Right? And, and, you know, Axe moms, body spray. Yes. <laughs> Deodorant. <laughs> basketball <laughs> shoes that stink. <laughs> Let's go down that list. Then there's the, the mothers often are young. So you get mm-hmm. young mothers who aren't very, they're not like elderly grandmothers walking around the a male meets them and he wants to come in and cuddle. It's a natural feeling. The mom wants to cuddle him and, and they got, well, there was really one deep. that was like in her fifties and he was in her, in his twenties, yeah. which was interesting. Yeah. I think the bottom line of it too, is just, it's not abnormal to have those feelings. You know, I think I've talked to you talking about, you know, pictures of half brothers and, you know, saying, because they're good looking. And I would say, what if I had met them without knowing, you know, in my earlier years, I probably would have hit on them or, you know, you'd be knowing myself. (laughs) Well, you'd also be attracted naturally because you're so much alike. Uh And that's what she was saying. You're seeing the likeness in yourself. I I was telling you before this started too, I had my cousin, he came to stay with us when I first met my bio family for a couple of weeks in between housing, we had a guest house and I felt very like touching him and hugging him. And, and he was the same. It was just this constant, like, Oh, you know, and I remember it being a little, if that were anybody else, it would have been very strange to get that close to someone very quickly. And I had no background in any of this. I'm not that kind of person normally, even though I'm touchy-feely with my friends. I'm not really that person when I don't know you very well. So it was, I could see, imagine bigger feelings, the parent feelings, you had a very hard childhood, whatever it is. The mother longing. Yeah, the longing. Mm -hmm. The longing for what was lost. Yeah. Um, and never had. It's strange. Years ago, somebody paid me to write a script about a father and a daughter who don't know that they're father and daughter and they get into this intense relationship and then end up finding out. I had forgotten about writing that until oh until goodness. I read this chapter. Wow. <laughs> to That's find a, it. We got to find that. See what my perspective was yes. then. I, I should find it because that was you know, a long time ago. Yeah. I'd like Um, to read that. I also, you know, I thought she did a good job of saying she, in her counseling would talk to people going through this, that were normal daily, like in their lives, certain people like you and I going off to work, anybody that listens to our podcast, going off to work, having a regular thing. When they reconnected, they, they didn't know they were going to have these feelings. This wasn't like, they already had devious things going on in their life. They were just regular people that really fell into this quickly. So she says, this is something with, you know, biology being taken away from each other. It's right. a kinship longing more than it's incest. Now, if it, in, or the emotional know. need for connectedness that drives the behavior. Exactly. I think that's how I tried to look at the chapter in it. Like, Oh, it's, it could happen and it's probably happened to a lot of people and they don't want to mm-hmm. talk about it. Many people. And I mean, they, they, she cites a lot of stories of people who had, yeah, who did get sexually involved. Yeah. And, and well, young, young wrote of it, you know, young wrote of incest as a symbol of the desire of the infant to return to the lost paradise of the womb. It's not the mm-hmm. incestuous cohabitation that is desired, but is rebirth. Yeah. Wanting to be a baby again. Wanting mm-hmm. to have that love, that unconditional, like someone's holding me. I mean, these are all big therapists. Erickson, who we now know was half adopted, right? 
Mm-hmm. What did he say? He observed that the person who comes from the same mother is attracted to one when they meet them or attracted to your sibling. If you come from the same mother, if you've yes. never grown up with them without like my brother and I, or your, your brothers, you have the squabbling and the, if you just grow up and then all of a sudden you meet your sibling and you're so similar, I could see that. Oh, totally. That's why, you know, like I said, it was always my, my <laughs> joke all, about it, but <laughs> <laughs> they're all good looking. Like you. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> then she kind of breaks down some bullet points. You know, one way to understand this phenomenon is to accept the deep mystery and the attraction that family members who come together after long separation feel for each other. And then to create a frame of reference to get to give meaning to the experience as well as defensive strategies to keep it under control. And then she lists yeah. a bunch of kind of a guideline of, you know, how to deal yeah. with it and how to deal with it. I think the main thing is no, is don't give, don't feel shame. Of course it's natural too, but don't dive into shame. Don't go into the guilt and shame that we already have tacked onto our lives. Exactly. And then also maybe this is a thing too. If you're going into reunion, it's so good if people find this stuff before they go into reunion. (laughs) Yes. Right. Ideally. Ideally, because this is why we need our podcasts out there and other podcasts and articles and people to talk about it because it's been so, I didn't even know other people went through all this stuff. No. And we're pretty well read and listened to things and I still didn't know. So the more we can get out there for people to say, you know, if you're searching and you're in your twenties or you're a young teen, like think about these things, read some books, have some therapy. I mean, it's all big stuff coming. Yes. Well, we've been getting messages on Facebook. I, have you seen from yes. someone who's writing a book about adoptees? So she, you know, we're her source of research. Her last question, I was like, oh, I'm going to let Sarah answer that one. Yes. <laughs> they're, they're, they're hard to answer. I'm like, oh. <laughs> anyway, this has been a really interesting chapter. Thank God I have yes. to do it with you. <laughs> I know. We've only got a few chapters left, I think. Yep, coming to the end of our season. Coming to the end of this awesome guest coming up. Yes, we do. We'll have a great guest. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. Hey, we just want to give a shout out to all of our Patreons to say thank you. We are so grateful for your support and can't thank you enough. We're so close to being able to bring this podcast to you weekly. We just need a few more Patreons to get us there. So if you want to be one of those that pushes us over, we'd love it. You can go to patreon.com and search Adoption, The Making of Me. So many people have reached out wanting to be guests and coming to you weekly will give voice to adoptees that want to tell their story. Your support will help us get there. Any amount is appreciated. Thank you. Welcome to another episode. Excited to talk to today's guest. I don't know, want to hear your story. I'm really excited to hear it. I saw you on Instagram, I think it was. and um, Yes. 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 And found your email and emailed you and asked you to be on. So thank you for being here. Welcome. Thank Jeff. you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So I guess I can dig right in. Uh, <laughs> yes. Tell us about you. <laughs> yes. I was born in the, you know, in the later stages of the sixties baby scoop era, born in San Francisco. And my biological mother was you know, typical. She was Catholic, unwed, college student at U of A. She's from San Francisco, went back up there to paint for a semester. And I was born in November. Then she went back to school and finished up kind of 
at that December graduation time because she missed that spring semester of being pregnant. But um, yeah, she relinquished me and I went to see, I was in foster care for about six weeks. CHS was where I was adopted out of in Oakland. And about six weeks of age, I was home with my parents in Moraga, California, East Bay. And from there, I, you know, had a wonderful, loving family. My parents also adopted a, my younger sister, who's 18 months younger than me. And we had a, it was a loving family, always knew we were adopted. Occasionally, it would come up like, you know, what did it mean again? Or it's like, well, we chose you. We want you to be in our family. So it was always, you know, wanted. We were always felt that we were wanted. But, you know, as an adoptee, there's also this knowledge that you're not biologically connected to your parents. So there's this thing in your head. What? Why? What? Why? And I think it wasn't until my third year of college at Chico, and I came home for a weekend, drove home the two and a half hours to Moraga and said, you know, mom, dad, I think I might want to look for my biological parents. What, what kind and of stirred that going for you? I, you know, I think I was just kind of, I think, you know, schooling, junior high, high school is one thing. College, you're now on your own. You're creating your new, your own friend groups, and you're not in this group of people that you were like friends with since kindergarten. And now I'm a senior in high school and we're all graduate. Like, I don't know. I think I just kind of did a lot of growing during that time. And uh, I told my folks and they said, we're fully supportive of you doing that. And I told my mom, you know, I just want to tell them I'm doing well and that'll be it. It'll be okay. You know, that I'm okay. She goes, I don't think it's going to be that easy. I think you're going to have a little more, you know, there's going to be more to it than just saying, you know, that, uh, thanks for having me and just want to let you know I'm alive. And she the, was right. The, conver- the conversation's big that your mom was able to do yeah. that and have that. Yeah, no, my parents, and later on, I've been, uh, we'll get into it, but I've been working on a documentary project interviewing adoptees in reunion. And, my, and I discovered through interviewing, interviewing my mom, she said that we actually set money aside in case we passed away, that there was money allocated to each of our children to find their biological parents. So they were thinking, they were thinking. But so I, you know, it was tough having that conversation because as you know, telling your adoptive parents, my parents, that I wanted to look, it makes it, you know, makes you look ungrateful, makes you look, you feel like you're cheating on your parents in a way that you want to find your, you know, biological parents. But I really wanted to solve that mystery of my origin. I just needed to know how did I get here? Who was it? You know, because growing up, I remember a dinner party and my parents, I was playing Little League and I wasn't aware of who each baseball player was. But one of my parents' friends said, Jeff, what's it like to be adopted? You and Jennifer, you're adopted and your parents wanted you. And I said, it's great. It's awesome. And who knows, maybe even Willie Mays is my father, you know, and they're like, ha ha ha, Willie Mays is not your father. There's no chance of Willie Mays being your father, <laughs> but we applaud you loving this, you know, this whole adoption situation. Anyway, so I, it was a little reminder like, oh yeah, yeah, probably Willie Mays is not my father, but, you know, yeah. these little reminders through life. 
I and what, how were your teenage years? Like just everything sort of was fine. It was your pretty good. Had a lot of friends. Played sports. I think my sister might have. I think actually, I think both of us handled it pretty well. I mean, looking back, there's some things that maybe, yeah, that I think each of us might have been dealing with. But I really, we had a great childhood. One time playing out with the neighbors, 12 years old, maybe like sixth, seventh grade. And someone said, oh, well, Jeff, you're adopted. So blah, blah, blah. You know, just every once in a while, there'd be a little zinger that you're like, huh, you know, screw you, you know, or, but I, I really, it didn't really affect too much. I think, I think I went into the search feeling very good about myself. I had had a lot of success in sports and, you know, had friends and, uh, you know, there wasn't anything that I would say was a, an issue for me at the time. I do remember though, when I was four years old, one, five years old, we did, my parents wanted to go to the city and I was afraid to go to the city because I didn't want to get left there and mm-hmm. upset my parents. They're like, we're not going to leave you anywhere. We love you. But there was that already, that idea. The possibility of being left in San Francisco, you realize in retrospect, these were like abandonment things yes. that would pop yes. up. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So I knew, I knew there was a little bit of that there, but really for the most part, I was living my life, doing my studies and had a, you know, pretty normal, typical childhood life. And it was great. And then I went off to college and then I had this conversation with my parents. And so then when I get back to school, I joined this group called Alma, Adoptees Liberty Movement Association. And now I think there's only one chapter in Colorado. And for the most part, they've disappeared. But I would do that on Wednesday nights. It was like AA for adoptees, seven to nine. I would go do that. We would talk about people having found their birth parents. And then we would also, part of it was search. And, you know, how are you coming along, Jeff, on your search? I did get very lucky in the beginning. I knew so I knew her a birth date and I knew a middle name. And for some reason, I just started going to marriage records of California and not the best sleuthing at that point. And then Leela Hicks, who ran our meeting, she was the den mother. She said, why don't you write to San Francisco Children's Hospital where you were born? See what happens. So I said, oh, great idea. So I wrote a note. And I got back. They said, hey, thanks for your inquiry. Here's all your info, except it was exacto knifed out. It looked like Swiss cheese. It was nine pages. Going through the nine pages on the very last page, it somebody wasn't cut properly. And it was, it said Taylor baby. So with Taylor baby, I. Someone like miscut. That's all. That's why they they miscut this little bit. (laughs) And I'm not sure if that was a, sometimes you have people on the inside underground adoption railroad style, you know, you don't know, maybe somebody, you know, on the papers, you know, most likely it said this baby is for adoption. So maybe they gave a clue. I don't know. I took it back to my group on that Wednesday night meeting. And she said, this is something. Why don't you write back? And see if you can get it, the whole thing. So we wrote back. I had my girlfriend in college and she wrote it and it said, hi, I am. Oh, and it said, I am Ms. Lynn Taylor. So I had the middle name from the non-IDing info that CHS gave me. I had the last name Taylor that they fucked up with. <laughs> and then 
I, we wrote back and I got the same nine pages with everything. And I was like, ah. I was like, holy shit. I have all of my info now. So I took it back to the Wednesday night meeting and Leela said, well, we do have an officer at Chico in the city of Chico who's adopted and he will run social security numbers for adoptees. Shouldn't be uh, doing it. That's an in. <laughs> but we'll do it for adoptees. So she said, get a pen and paper out. I'm calling you back in five minutes. And literally, you know, you know, she called me back and said, she's in Portland. This is her address. This is her name, all the info. And so I, I got it in about six months, all this beginning of this process from beginning to end, it was six months. So then it was the next point of like, all right, when am I going to call her? So I spent a couple of days talking to friends, talking to my girlfriend about it. And then I, you know, I went into my room in my apartment. I actually took one of those radio shack phone tappers and I put a TDK 90 minute tape into my tape player <laughs> and I recorded and you can hear me like calling and then it's busy. So I hang up, I go back out, roommate hands me a beer. I crack the beer. My friends are giving me a little shoulder massage. I get back in there, mofo, go get it. And I'm like, all right, come back in. I go in and the phone is not busy. My half sister picks up the phone. I didn't know at the time. And I said, hi, is bar, you know, is this, you know, I'll keep her name out of it, but is, you know, blah, blah in. And she said, sure, one second. So then my birth mother answered the phone and I, we had been trained back in, this is 1991. This is October of 91. And so we've been trained. You want to get yourself in that door. So you might say something that they're going to hang up the phone. So this is the way our, our den mother taught us. She said, you know, I, I called and said, hi, I'm calling long distance. Is there any chance I have some great and wonderful news for you, but any chance I can give you my phone number in case we get disconnected? And she goes, uh, sure. What's your number? And I said, 916, you know, whatever my Chico number was. And she goes, okay, so who is this? I go, I have some great and wonderful news. And are you five foot six, whatever? She said, yes, but what, 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 what's going on? I said, well, on the day of November 30th, 1968, you and I shared my birth. And then that's how you she, said it? That's how I said it. I've got, on, I, I, I've got I, some great and wonderful news. <laughs> I can, yeah, I'm giving I you know, some Genzo knives or something. Yeah. I just wanted her to stay on long enough so I could say something. And I was really happy that I got my phone number onto the tablet in her kitchen in case she hung up the phone maybe two days later says well shit that was my son i should call him back so so we talked for uh we went through that 90 minute tv how did she like when you said that we shared we shared a birth how did she she... silence for 30 seconds and you can hear her going you know you can hear all this and then she finally says you know I named you David. What is your name now again? And I said, Uh I'm Jeff. And she was like, wow, I can't believe this. And we talked and where did you grow up? And what, what are your parents like? And, and we just got into it for a couple hours and we made arrangements for me to go up to Portland to go visit. Did your half sister know that was there? 
or did, did she find out? Well, that was the interesting thing. She said, give me a few days. You know, we talked for about a week or so, and then we made a plan in two weeks to go up. And she said, also, I need to give my kids, I need to let my son know he's not the oldest, mm-hmm. let my younger daughter know that she's got an older brother. My husband always knew, not related to me, but I do need to let some other cousins, you were a secret. You know, this Catholic family wasn't going to let that one out. So I said, all right. And we made plans. They, she bought me a ticket, flew up to Portland. These are the days where the person's at the gate, you know, yeah. they're right there. So I'm walking, she said, I'll be wearing a red blazer. And I go through the, you know, the breezeway. And there's a woman in a red blazer. And I was like, holy shit. Like, you know, and gave her a hug and we talked a little bit there. And then she says, you know, let's go. We're going to go back to the house. The kids are waiting. And there's going to be, and then after that, my uh, cousin's coming over and his wife and a couple other people. So I said, okay. And we actually kind of, she said, you know, let's go. There's, this was the age of the microbreweries were taking over the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. We went and got a pint of beer somewhere and we kind of discussed the whole thing. Got in the car, went to the house, met my half brother and sister. At the time, I'm 22 and maybe. And were you staying with her? I stayed with her in a room there at the house. Yeah. And I was. big, actually. Yeah. And I was like mm, nine years older than the next eight or nine years older. Anyway, yeah, went to the house, met those guys, and he had some of his basketball buddies. My half brother had some friends come by. They wanted to see, like, wow, you got an old brother, dude. Let's go see what this guy's all about. <laughs> so he must have been like 13 or he something. He was 13, wow. 14, and I think I my thought it was half cool. was like 12, something like that. So yeah, so I met he and his buddies, and then then some of the family starts coming. So we're just sitting around the kitchen island. And people keep coming in, a lot of hugs, a lot of crying, a lot of talking, and just had a wonderful, you know, reunion. That evening was great. The next day, I was only there for two and a half days. And it was great. And as we all know, the reunion honeymoon is great for that month or so. And then you start to go, why the fuck was I giving up? How, you know, now, now the questions come, you know, it's not the, you know, there's a lot of that as a friend of mine has coined it, that reunion porn out there where, Hey, let's pull away the car. Here's your mom. Here's your dad. Ta-da! That's just the beginning. The right. I was just going to say that. Exactly. That's base camp Mount Everest. The real work is when you climb that bitch. So just meeting your birth parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the easy part. Now you got to climb it. So I like reunion porn. Yeah. yeah. Oh, every, it's all over the place. But it that's is. not we where the real work is. The real work is not in meeting them. I mean, it took work to get there, but the real introspection work happens afterwards. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what my projects emphasizing and working on it. How's it inform your life once you, you know, meet your biological parents? So anyway, so my birth mother knew where my birth father was. She hadn't spoken to him in a while, but she knew where his mother was. And did he know about you? He knew about me. Yeah. Like back then she told him that she was pregnant. And he kind of, it was a one night thing. He helped her out. You know, they weren't dating, you know, it was just kind of a, one of those things, but he did, you know, he was somewhat around, but 
for the most part, my birth mother went back up to, you know, the Bay area and had me. And then she, you know, I was relinquished to child services or wherever you go. And she went back to her house in Palo Alto for until the next semester started. And, but then I, yeah, I found my biological father and the first thing he said when I called him, you know, and, and did you say the point, same thing? I've got some wonderful, great and wonderful I'm have to use that. You're not going to believe it. <laughs> yeah. So no, I did Make not. Take my and number, this, please, in case we get disconnected. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to at sell this, you something. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. But at this point, I'm living in New York. After college, after I graduated college, I fell into uh, modeling, and I was modeling in New York. Lived in Paris. Lived in Milan. Did runway shows. Did all this stuff. I'm in New York and I have a job in Arizona. So I'm down there and I called my biological father after I met my birth mother, like six months later. And he said, well, you're not looking for money, are you? I'm like, no, oh. asshole. I'm not looking for fucking money. What a dick. But anyway, I said, listen, next, whenever I get down to Arizona, when I get down there sometime, I'll look you up. So anyway, the guy showed up in a car. He had this Pontiac Sunfire, the it's convertible, and it was like already in 1994 when I met him. It was already like a 10-year-old car, 15-year-old car. It looked like it hadn't gotten a bath since he bought it. And the convertible was broken. And so it was always down. So you're hot as hell driving around when we went to go try to find some food. And Arizona. The windows were broken, but they were broken up. So you're driving in, I'm driving in a, you know, a car with the windows up, tops down. I'm like, this is all fucked up. Anyway, so we, I, and he didn't look like he had much, much dough. So I take him to, I never heard of it before, but we go to PF Chang's, we go to dinner and I learn about him there. And, you know, not, I wasn't impressed to say the least, you know, I wasn't very impressed with his uh, thoughts. Uh, yeah, the guy was a little racist, a little bit of an asshole, a little bit of a chauvinist. You know, if I didn't know him, he probably would have been better with a punch in the face. But I was like, I'm going to let you go with that. <laughs> but anyway, so I met that guy, that guy. Did you have any resemblance but, with them or anything I, like that? Yeah, yeah. But I have more <laughs> with my birth mother than yeah. I do with him. And we've stayed in touch. I did reach out to him. I haven't talked to him in 10 years, but I did reach out to him about six months ago. And his, and I know his niece and his brother's kids, they came to visit New York, but back in the 2000s. But anyway, I reached out. She said, well, I'll let my dad know and he'll contact his brother, let him know that you're looking. And then she said, well, I've heard back from your birth father. And evidently he's very happy with the relationship as it is. And I was like, there is no relationship. Okay. So <laughs> that, that's it. So, you know, I haven't talked to him in 10 years anyway. And six months ago that came up. So did uh, he have other kids? Do you have siblings he did. for him? He did. Yeah. He got married after me and he had a kid like six years after me. And then he got divorced two years after that. So his daughter barely knows him because he left the house. The last time she talked to him was when she was 13. She told her dad she was going out for eighth grade cheerleading. And he said, why would you do that? You're fat. So, oh. she, said, so she went like this. She hasn't talked to him since. She, she asked me, how is he doing? Because I won't talk with him. So when I came into her life, 
She said, oh, that's amazing. You saw, what's he up to? I go, oh, uh, you know, probably the same bullshit when you were with him. Like, you know, <laughs> he, he, the guy kind of. So anyway, she asked me what's going on. I, what, I'm the adopted relinquished child and you're trying to get info about your dad? Just let you know what kind of a guy he is. But yeah. Anyway. Sorry, that, you're making me laugh. <laughs> no, yeah. No, there. hey, we have to have a little bit of you humor have in to have all humor. of this. Yes. We're the most unique form of human being on this planet the relinquished child like we, we have to laugh so yeah so i that's where that relationship is with him and then yeah so from there the, there was some there were some tough years with my birth mother a lot of it's still tough there's a lot of uh up until and she actually came to visit about two months ago and she, you know, her new thing, you know, she, the whole plan was, and on the papers, it says baby for adoption. And her parents took her out of school, put her in a little apartment that she was going to paint and get her hippie on. And then all of a sudden she now, the story she's telling me now, which is, I think, a coping mechanism for herself is that actually I didn't want to give you up and you were stolen out of the mm-hmm. hospital. And I was like, oh, so you had no intention. So everybody knew your cousins that were supposedly weren't in the mix. Everybody knew that you were going to have me and you wanted to keep me. She goes, well, no, I kind of made that decision, that choice after I had you there in the hospital. I said, well, okay, let's go with that idea. You had me and you wanted to keep me. So did you notify people that you were keeping me? She goes, well, I, I couldn't really. I'm like, well, when I was kidnapped out of the hospital, did you go look for me? She goes, because I, from what I know, you got the car service and you went back down to Palo Alto with your mom. So if I was something you were trying to keep, I think there would have been more search going on. And she said, well, I wasn't allowed to use the phone at the house, so I couldn't call anybody. I go, well, maybe a dime and a walk to the 7-Eleven? Well, I didn't know where that was. I go, okay, all right, I'm going to leave it at it. And sometimes I think biological birth mothers, birth fathers, it's so hard to accept what has been done or what they chose to do or for better or for lack of choice, what ended up transpiring, it's hard for them to deal with. So mm-hmm. it's been a lot of times, a lot of jumping around as to what happened and all that. You know, because I did propose the idea. I said, well, when you had your son after me, if he had been stolen out of the hospital, would you have just gotten in the car service and gone back to I mean, to uh, Palo Alto? You know, your son's with you. So somehow you managed to keep him. So, you know, but I don't press her too much on it because I know she's in a spot where that's how she copes. And right. It does sound like that. She's grappling it, with guilt yeah. and shame. Yeah. It was so prevalent, you know, especially Catholic. I mean, it was such a prevalent thing right. in that baby scoop era, the shaming of the unwed yeah. mothers. Yeah. It was a lot of shaming and I get it. And there's a lot of shame in this whole thing, but at the same time, I try to, you know, talk with her and I, and trying to help with, other people, I sometimes I have meetings here at the house with adoptees, but it, the more we can take that shame out of there, mm-hmm. the more we of can course. Take, we're all innocent people in this weird constellation of adoption. So going forward, I'm working in New York and I start getting into 
after about 12 years of working in front of the camera, I get behind the camera and I start shooting a lot of, at first I'm at CBGB's and Coney Island High shooting punk rock bands. None of my friends made it, but they were all doing that Green Day type punk rock, cool stuff. Anyway, start shooting more and more, get a career going, come to LA with my wife. And it just so happens that I have a job shooting Ray Liotta. So Ray comes over to the house. I have a home studio here and Ray uses the restroom, comes out. He's like, hey, yo, what's up with the black rocks in your sink? Those like smooth black rocks. I go, ah, my birth mother's kind of a hippie. Supposed to bring good energies to the house. And he goes, he said something to the effect of like, you just said the magic words, you're adopted and so am I. And I was like, wow, I can't believe, what? like, tell me, did you find, did you find your your birth parents? And he's like, yep. And we got into a three hour conversation, <laughs> shooting, talking, went on a location that I had already sourced, came back, driving the car with Ray, just shooting the shit with Ray Liotta, getting his story and sharing mine. And it was amazing. It was an amazing Amazing time. And probably for the next five or six years after that shoot, it was a great story at a cocktail party, sharing it. And then one day I'm talking to my wife, maybe even driving home from one of these parties, said, you know, there's other people that have these stories and there's healing in sharing and people getting to, when I heard Ray talk about it, I could identify with a lot of things he was dealing with. It made me feel better. Makes it like there's something here. So I started photographing adoptees in reunion, black and white photos. I started with some other, I know quite a few adoptees here in LA and I was able to get some shoots done. And then I did one of myself, a self-portrait of myself, one of my birth mother and one of my mom. And when you see that triptych, I always kind of fit my family. I, I was the one that, you know, in the church directory, I got my hand on my mom's shoulder and I was the blonde haired dude that looked just like my blonde haired mom and my blonde haired sister. And my dad was tall. We kind of really fit, you know, even though everybody knew, like you would think that we were just a non-adopted family, so to speak. But so I started this project shooting this stuff and a friend of mine who's at an ad agency said, you know what, why don't we think about filming you as you're going on this journey. We were able to, over the weekends, we were able to get cameras and get some guys to operate them. And we went to San Diego, San Francisco, got my mom's interview, got my birth mother's interview in Oregon, got stuff in LA, all over California, Oregon. And putting all this stuff together, we now, we have a lot more to go, We, you know, but I've got about 46, 47 hours of footage how many, how many people is that? I've got six families and six stories. Yeah. And I probably need another 300 or so. So I'm still working on that. <laughs> and I've gotten a few more but during COVID. But what I've got in my sizzle reel right now, it's about, about six different stories in there. I've learned so much more. I've done so much more of a just a dive into being adopted. And I'd never really, you know, going into meeting my biological mother, I came in just like, Hey, da, 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 let's meet my birth mother. Then you learn some things and some things probably I 
stepped around, but I think this project has forced me to look more at things, solve that mystery. What were my circumstances? So here I am now, and I'm still working on the project, still doing my photography and getting more and more interviews. Now looking for a production company to help see around the bend. They have a little bit more money. I've kind of used all of my favors that I can. And now it's, I think it needs to get, I need to pass the ball off to someone who can kind of help get it over the goal line. But I've got so many interviews in the waiting, just waiting to go. You know, there's so many different stories and they're all unique. And there's so many stories, Sarah and so I many stories. talk about this all the time. Yes. Well, we have them. We interview them. Including often. yours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I have a question. Did your sister find her mm-hmm. biological parents? My sister doesn't have the desire. No, she doesn't. I, I don't know if it's, she has no desire or maybe it's too hard to look at, but for whatever reason, she's not looking. So I have my ideas, but it's sometimes it's kind of tough to really dig in to get yeah. into that first initial bite of this whole thing and finding your. It's an upheaval, uh, you know, it's a lot you go through and yeah, um, Sarah and I both, you know, we, kind of have learned through so many people, you know, you're always looking, even if you're not looking. Right. Except for people who don't know, obviously. Yeah. Even BJ Lifton says Mm -hmm. that the the birth parent relationship can be complicated. I had a really complicated relationship with mine, my birth mother, but my siblings, it was like different. I felt, you know, no matter what there was a, I had a bond. I have a bond with them. Unfortunately, my birth mother died in 2009 do you have a bond with your biological siblings? Like, do you feel that kind of? I don't know if I, I mean, we're friendly and it's great, but one's in Seattle of my birth mothers, one's in Seattle, one's in Colorado. And no, I have not ever said, Hey, I'm going to take a weekend or spend a week and go hang out there. I see them when I'm on a job. Hey, can you meet me somewhere or something? I do do some traveling Oddly, my half-sister on my birth father's side, she has come to visit. She said, hey, I want to come visit. Sure. I mean, if anybody wanted to come visit, I would let them, like, no problem. Nobody's ever wanted to come visit, and I've never made that effort with my siblings on my birth mother's side. But my birth father's side, uh, she came to visit, stayed with us for a few days. And that, yeah, we have a pretty good, we're very similar. Yeah. So we have a good bond. There was something else you mentioned. Oh, you guys, have you guys ever interviewed Betty Jean? I mean, Lifton, did you? She died, but we, a while ago. I I used to go see her. I would go see her in the 90s. I'd go get my adoption therapy from her. Oh, wait, do you mean her or do you mean Nancy Verrier? Because Nancy is in California. Nancy's in California. She's in Lafayette. I grew up in the town next to Lafayette called Moraga. And I actually called my birth mother hoping to get Nancy's info because she's very hard to get a hold of. And I want to see if she'd be interested in giving her some, get some interviews on her. But she was part of a a documentary that Rebecca Autumn did. It's called Reckoning with the Primal Wound. And it's, it's, it's a documentary about the primal wound and. Oh, you, should check, you should check it out because yeah. Nancy's a big part of that. We interviewed Nancy. We and, did. Oh, um, that's great. That's on the great. podcast in the first season. Oh, but cool. Betty Jean Lifton, I'm pretty sure died sometime maybe, maybe. in the 90s. Okay. Well, I, I was seeing her 94, 95 in New York. She lived on the Upper West Side. I'd go to her apartment. She had just kind of 
written the book journey of the adopted self. And so I'd go see her. And then in New York, I'd go see another guy named Joe Saul. He's a great mm-hmm. guy. Joe Saul has a Wednesday night wow. upper, upper East side, 72nd, like first half or something you're up there. And yeah. So did your adopted parents, did they meet your biological mom and how any of that, like, are they still alive? How's all that? My father has passed away and he was the most wonderful, loving human being I could have ever been given as uh, to have his parents and my mom, same thing. She's my spiritual guru, just incredible parents. And they're around my birth mother and her husband, and he has passed, but they met in Lafayette in Nancy's hometown, but they met for dinner. I think my biological mother felt a little I think there might've been a little bit of a bull in a China shop type vibe, kind of like, well, now that I'm back in the scene, I think she kind of threw her weight around a little bit. It was a little bit hard for my mom to take. And I could tell for the first two years that my mom, that I and my birth mother were in reunion. I think she was probably a little unsure of like, you're not sure what's going to happen. My son now meets his, you know, birth mother. And so I did, a, I, I reassured my mom. I said, mom, you're my mom. You're, there's nobody that's taking your place. You are my everything. So she, I think over first, you know, maybe a couple of years and realized, yep, Jeff's not going anywhere. But I think she did feel that my birth mother was a little, well, when I was carrying him this, this, and this, and oh, well, when he would do, you know, she Kind of, I don't know. I, I think there's some, I know there's regret that she relinquished me. And I think she's like, hmm, that one was, I, maybe I should have kept that one. And I think she's trying to get back or, you know, I think she was. Well, know, trying to find her place probably in the. Yeah. There too. Yeah. I'm so. sure she went through a lot of pain herself. And I mean, it, yeah. again, yeah. that era was. Maybe it wasn't really a choice. No, I don't think it was necessarily a choice, but it was it was the lack of choice. So I think that's, you know, she has some, you know, some anger and regret there. And I, you know, I want to hopefully if she can let that regret go and, you know, let's move on from where we're at, even though, you know, we can't cure adoption, but we can definitely do a lot of healing on it. So we can, you know, and there's a lot of people involved that have been hurt, you know, and as a great friend of mine, she's an amazing writer and you should have her on this show, Mindy Stern. She's here in LA. As she said, you know, in order to, you know, you have to break a family in order to form one through adoption. So you're breaking things. Right. Exactly. In order to put this together. It's really you know, there's a lot of healing to do with all of us and things. Well, we need, we definitely need adoption reform. I mean, you're one of the, you're one of the lucky people who had a good life, but many people didn't. And, you know, and at the expense of, you know, why not put some resources into Mm. helping that original family as opposed to paying, you know, $60,000 to get a baby, you know, there, there's a lot wrong with the system. So absolutely. I like that you guys want to advocate for, a healthier, more humane system of adoption that seems to, or maybe you know, not adoption, but more, um, you know, maybe I, I don't know that like totally changing someone's history and their name and all that stuff, erasing that past and fake yeah. birth certificates, you know, 
yeah. guardianship. You know, there's a lot of different, different ways and, it could go. And let's get all 50 states, 18, you get all your records. Because when I went to CHS and I hadn't, when I went, I went there, came down from Chico one day to Oakland and the lady was holding all my info and she kept like, oh, nope, can't yeah. see it. It needs to be revamped for sure. The whole adoption process. So yeah, I would love to see that happen. And you guys, you know, and anyway, I can help with you guys doing whatever. Like, I just want to see better, yes, you know, better behavior in this adoption world. So. And I'm excited to see your project. I was just going to say the same thing. Excited to. Yeah, no, it's been quite amazing journey. And I'm also really impressed that you got to have therapy with Betty Jean Lifton. What a gift. I was thinking that while you were talking about that's incredible. Well, my birth mother is very involved in CUB, which is Concerned United Birth Parents. And she has been involved in PACER. I don't know what PACER stands for, but it's another adoptee group. And she has a friend that has a book of all adoptions from 1944 to 1974 or 80, something like that. Wow. I don't know how, I mean, it's like, are you sure? Like sometimes she goes, but I did give her a friend's info and she goes, well, this is the info you needed. And so like, like, we're in that book. Yes. Evidently we're in this book. It's like the, the book of Mormon, but we're in the book of adoptees. <laughs> you, know? you never know. I never even heard of this. Yes. And she's all in it. So I, I said, Hey, I'm going to try to do some therapy in New York. She said, why don't you go see Betty Jean Lifton? And so I went to her house, her apartment and that's I very cool. Therapy sessions with her. So back in 94, 95. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. It was pretty cool. That's uh, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we're in therapy, you know, with her right now doing the chapter, doing so I'm breaking like, down her chapters. It's been and- great listening to you guys kind of review through those. So I love it. I really have really enjoyed it. There's this other quote. I have this. There's another quote that I love that my friend Mindy did that I use. It says, my life is not better because someone adopted me. My life is different. Adoption can multitask. She has many things at once. So are we. We are the bastards, the unwanted, the surrendered, the saved, the chosen, the rescued, the loved, and the forsaken. Allow us our entirety. Oh, that's beautiful. That's I mean, a I love that. It's just, we can be everything. The one thing that I sometimes, when I listen to the podcast with you guys or other podcasts, some adoptees tend to think that it's all like, the one thing there's there's no absolutes in yeah. this world. You could be ninety percent nurture, ten percent nature. You could be totally the opposite way. You could have had horrible parents. You could have had amazing adoptive parents. You know your story doesn't mean it's the same for everybody else. So I I love that quote there because it I let, we it's, it's such a vast amount of people can fit under this umbrella of adoption, uh, this of the adoption constellation. We are, you know, it's not like uh, there's, I, I don't know if you guys are on that. Hello, I'm adopted on Facebook. No, but someone just told me about this. Yeah. Or ugly. Sometimes, you know, sometimes the people that go into that, you know, you're not going to get the people that have all the happier adoption stories in there. They probably don't go into the chat rooms to complain. 
But a lot of people are convinced that there's nothing good about adoption or that adoption is at the very base evil or no, adoption exists because it needs to exist. And yes, some people misbehave when they feed, when you go to a soup kitchen, 90% of the people need the food. 10% actually have jobs and just want free soup and they abuse it. I get it. Some people abuse the system, but it exists there because we need it. So, you know, the absolutes, I don't find absolutes in the world of adoption. It's some people have varying degrees of, of trauma towards it. Some have less. But it's unique, though, if you if we all get into a room, have you ever walked into a room with 25 adoptees, no. 25 adoptees in a room, fascinating, because you're going to everybody there. I know sort of it's called Twitter. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. That's oh, called, I don't know. That's anything. called I my didn't computer. Know what that was. I, you said there's an adoption. Adoptee Twitter. Wow, my adoptee Twitter. It's wow. Yeah, it's a community of adoptees looking yeah. to reform it and change yeah. it. I would like yeah. to do the room of 25 though. That, in well, real yeah, life, bring all the adoptee Twitter. <laughs> oh, it's, it's incredible because I, you look around the room and I can tell you 95% of the issues you've dealt with. I know. And I probably let, let's reserve about 5%, which can be a big 5% of your unique story, Louise, or your unique story, Sarah. But I can tell you a whole bunch of what you dealt with. And when you yeah. look in a room of, nine, of 25, 30 people, and we're all like, yep, we've been there. Like, it's a unique, amazing story, uh, scenario, uh, situation. And when people share their stories, if it can ring true as somebody out there that maybe was afraid to say something yeah. that felt like, oh, I, if I say this, I'll be shamed. Or if someone else can speak up and say it, it takes the power out of you. It takes the power that it had over you and you become to have power over it. You know, it's, yeah. it's less controlling you. Oh, other people deal with this. I'm not the only one. Ah, shit. I got this. It helps you get through that and do the healing. And if I hadn't found my biological mother, I, or found and then kind of put it away and didn't deal with it. I wouldn't be here now dealing with, the, you know, I feel like I've done so much work on myself and we have this unique group of people. So I think by looking at the thing that you have that a lot of people might see as an Achilles heel, but if you can turn on it and turn that strength into a mountain, that's the way to go with it. So it's been an interesting journey and I still have more to go. So uh, as do we all for sure. Yeah. Always unpeeling. This has been so great. We really appreciate your time yeah. and generosity and insight. I'd love to get that quote for if we could put it onto your show notes from her, her permission, oh, yeah. of course. Yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. Okay. I'll send you, you know. It's beautiful. It made me cry. I'm an emotional day to day, but I'm like, that was beautiful. Yeah, I really feel she sums things up really well. She's a great writer. She'll have, you know, when she put all, you guys get turned on to her, Mindy Stern. She's got really, insightful adoption stories there. Thank you yeah. for your time. And I can, yeah, I'll send you, I'll send you some stuff and we'll uh, be in touch guys. And that sounds you, good. Louise, if you come to LA, let's get coffee or I something. Would love that. Or I come would love over that. for a, a glass of rose at five. You I know, would love whatever. that. We can talk. Like, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I have my own reunion stuff going on. So I'll talk to you about that. <laughs> oh yeah. No, it's, it's always a joy. 
Yeah, we, yeah. Definitely okay. felt like my birth mother came for two days too long last time she was here. <laughs> like it was, yeah, sometimes they, they don't go so, go so well, but yeah. Well, thank you for your honesty and telling us your story too. And, yeah. and just the time. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Well, that was a, another reunion story. Totally another you know. different perspective of, yeah, everybody has a different experience. They really do. I, I marvel at the, how he was kind of coached and that there's these groups I never oh knew my existed God. and he calls I, up. And, and so like, a lot like that, you know, in the early nineties, I was, was able to find that, that pre-internet and be able to find all that stuff was really, yeah, it was pretty uh, investigative. I've got some wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed that. I did too. Yeah. Get, let's get, and kind of coached in it and that he found these different groups. The cool thing is being able to be with Betty Jean Lifton. I know. I know. What a gift. That's a gift. Very much so. Yeah. I'm excited to see his project. Yep. Me too. All right. Well, what do we say? We say (laughs) another great episode. Another great episode. See you next time, Sarah. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening today. And remember, if you'd like to share your stories or suggest any guests for our show, you can find us on all the socials at the Making of Me podcast. And again, we have a Patreon page so that we can continue to bring these great adoption stories to you. So if you want to find that and donate or contribute in any way, find us at patreon.com searching adoption colon the making of me. Bye. See you next time.